This week on the Ocean Cruises podcast, we are speaking with Brooke and Gary from the YouTube sailing channel, Sailing One Life. Brooke and Gary have been cruising now for two years around the Caribbean and have just entered the Pacific after crossing through the Panama Canal. They started off their journey in Florida, where they were living at the time, and purchased a 1984 nautical development offshore 40. They spent six months working full-time while street-fitting on life, ready for cruising the Caribbean seas. Fresh to sailing, they left the dock with no experience, but started to pick up skills as they cruised. They have taken each day as it comes and now heading towards the Sea of Cortez for the next stage of their journey. If you want to follow Brooke and Gary's adventure, check out their YouTube channel, Sailing One Life. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So uh, how, how is it going in Mexico? You've arrived now. Yeah, so we arrived a couple days ago. We limped in. And yeah, yeah, we limped our way in. We had some trouble on our passage. So we've just been spending our time just doing boat tours since we've been here, actually. Oh, nice. What type of trouble was it? Well, the engine for the first time in our two and a half years of cruising decided to just stop in the middle of motoring. So uh, yeah, it just went and stopped. Okay. So I went down and changed our fuel filter, our Raycor fuel filter, made no difference. Changed the fuel filter on the engine, made no difference. So we ended up having to take our generator fuel line and run that over to the engine just to keep going because it turns out that there was a clog in the pickup tube for oh. the engine in the tank. So we spent two uh, days the, last two, the last two days here taking apart our diesel tank, emptying it, Cleaning, oh, cleaning, it, cleaning all the sludge out of it. Ugh. Yeah. Was it bad in there? Like, was it really clogged up at the bottom? It wasn't terrible, but there were some pretty big chunks of like sludge floating around. And... I know that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it's chunks. Yeah. To me, it's terrible. <laughs> it wasn't clean, that's for sure. But yeah, I, I, could picture, that. I could picture it being worse. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but it's pretty ingenuitive. Um, idea could you cable with there to take like the generator line and just plug that straight into the uh engine yeah and luckily the the fuel line from the engine just barely reached over to the raycor for the generator so right it just pop it off and switch it over to the other raycor and fire it back up so it got us got us going again but yeah it's just that a number a number of things like that where we're just kind of like stringing along right our main cell bad in pockets ripped out a few of them ripped out so oh, we had to take some bad, we had to take some bad ends out and continue i was hand sewing this morning it's like my least favorite thing in the world to do <laughs> yeah that's just what it's like it's it is the life, yeah, you know? yeah like, exactly it is yeah. <laughs> same in a house the only difference is like when you have a problem in a house it's not going to sink well unless you have You're a right. real bad problem um so, so yeah so yeah. same yeah, same issues water pipes bursting all that type of stuff uh, yep. we've, we've always got issues. we live in like the south of Spain so like the electricity here is so unpredictable if it rains none of the houses lights will turn on um, like the country oh, wow. just shuts down when it rains it's crazy they're wow. not ready for it they don't have like drainage that much or anything like that so um, yeah if you get like a lightning storm your internet goes off that's pretty standard um, so yeah same similar stuff really yeah it's a bit different yeah. yeah, we had like, you know, we had dreams of margaritas and tacos when we arrived in Mexico and instead right. our, our heads are in a fuel tank instead, you know. We did right. get the margaritas in. We got the margaritas in. <laughs> yeah, they would definitely help with the boat work. <laughs> yeah. Kind of necessary to do the boat work. Yeah, it's a little yeah. hard to drag ourselves away from like the, the little pool here at the marina and the, and the restaurant bar and stay in the boat during the work, but got to get it done so we can keep moving. It's just you know, I've never been, well, no, I've been to one marina where you have like a full-on outdoor swimming pool and a spa. I've not been there on my boat. I've just stayed there. Uh, but there seems to be like quite a few in the Caribbean. I've never cruised during the Caribbean, um, but there seems to be yeah. a lot. Yeah, they're, they're pretty popular. I would say yeah. the majority of the marinas have pools and bars, restaurants. Yeah, we're by no means experts on marinas, though. This is the first time we've been tied to a dock since... Shelter Since Bay. before coming through the Panama Canal, so three months oh, ago, wow. I think, yeah, three or four we, months ago. We don't enjoy being at a marina, but occasionally you need it for sanity check. 
yeah, boat work. And then if you just fancy, you know, going into town easily, like I yes. suppose it's just nice sometimes. Yeah. yeah, it was nice for us to check in here at the dock because the marina actually helps you with the customs process. Oh, and nice. it's pretty tricky in Mexico. It actually took, what, two days to two, check in? Two full days of running around. So we pretty Whoa. much came to the marina for that and boat work. But it just varies so much between countries, right? So we came from Honduras before this. And you you take your dinghy over to the pier. And there's a little building there with the port captain, customs, and immigration all sitting right there. You pay nothing, and in 15 minutes, everything's done and you're cleared in. Yeah. And then a place like Costa Rica or Mexico, you have to go to the port captain's office, the port office. You have to go to a bank to pay some fee for something. You have <laughs> yeah. to go to, you know, we had to drive to the border of Guatemala to get the, the boat temporary import permit done. It's just like, That's so nuts. you end up running all over the place for, for multiple days just to get everything it's done. And they might be going with a theory like if we piss them off so much getting in, they might stay for longer. Um, <laughs> I can't see any other sense to it. That's crazy though, because you're you can just drive straight over the border and go into Mexico. You don't need to go for any checks or anything. But if you turn up on a boat, it's a bit it's, of a yeah, it's just so different turning up on a boat. It's something that we try to explain to people a lot that don't sail. Mm. That you know they think of visiting places, and when you show up at an airport, you stand in line at the immigration counter and they ask you a few questions and they stamp your passport and you're done. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you're, when you're bringing a boat into somewhere, you have to deal with all of these extra things like a port captain and a import permit and, you know, just a coast guard fee and all of these additional coast things. Guard fee. Yeah. We had to pay a <laughs> coast a guard one. fee to exit Costa Rica. And right. the fee had to, and the fee had to be paid at one very specific bank bank which had like an hour wait. <laughs> it's just so nuts. It's crazy. You know, I, I wonder if people, I mean, if you're, if you travel around in an RV, you basically live in the same type of type of lifestyle, more or less. Um, yeah. I would, like, would, I would they do that to the RVers at the border? I think they have the same so. issues when they, oh, yeah? when they cross borders where they have to deal with all of the, the import stuff. Import. Mm -hmm. mm, interesting. Well, something yeah. to look forward to. I was talking to, oh, it was a, I can't remember. I talked to a lot of people, but I was talking to someone this week and we were talking about like some of the biggest differences between like cruising in the Med and the Caribbean. And the Med is so easy. You just go wherever you want in any country. It doesn't matter. Um, it's just like 20, well, I don't know how many Mediterranean countries there are that are in the EU, but there's a bunch of them anyway. And you can just go in between them. It's not a problem. And it's like, you really take that for advantage when you get into the Caribbean and then you've got like that USVI, Bahamas, BVI, all that type of area um, where it can be like a real headache. Um, yeah, you kind of really appreciate the ease. The Caribbean should do something like that. I mean, I thought the yeah, so Caribbean we've... was quite easy actually for check-in. And for us to like Puerto Rico and USVI, we didn't even have to check into yeah, that's easy for you. Americans, which made that easy. And then with COVID, there actually was like a bubble, the Eastern Caribbean bubble, the CARICOM bubble that they kind of had set up, which definitely made it easier for us to hop around between countries then. But they have sail clear set up in most of the Caribbean. So that's pretty easy. You just have to go online and then check in when you get there. I don't know. I thought the Caribbean was pretty easy to check in. Compared to Central America and South America, and South America for yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, the level of bureaucracy yeah. in Central America is just take it a whole nother level. <laughs> They've got a different way of running these countries, though, you know. <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. Not like <laughs> completely yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the uh, other thing we find is like in the Caribbean, there's so many sailboats. So they're all very used to mm -hmm. doing the check in process for sailboats. But if you're in, you know, some small little port in Costa Rica that only handles one or two sailboats a year. A lot of the, the people that work in the offices just don't know what to do because they just mm. don't do it often. So that kind of, we run into some hiccups with that. Yeah, I think we're just definitely spoiled over here because we're like, it's crazy. I mean, you, you get people in Europe, they only go on holiday in Europe because you would only have to. I mean, you know, you, you can go like to the south of Spain and you get warm summers you can go to france and you can get great skiing like you really don't need to leave and you just you don't need to go through passport control for any of these countries so yeah i think i think we're a bit spoiled 
with it really so <laughs> you to get yeah. used to the rest of the world in a way um, yeah it's cool. kind of fun it's kind of part of the adventures you know dealing with yeah. all of the all of that yeah. kind of if you, if you enjoy it and like make it fun it's not it's not a bad thing right if you get all worked up over it and like you know get stressed out about it then you're gonna have a bad time but yeah it's you know i remember like the first time i i love mexico it's one of my favorite countries i think for the people and the food it's definitely my favorite country because they're so nice to foreigners and um the food is amazing they even do incredible pizza like you won't think that they do mexican flavored pizza that's just way better than pizza you get anywhere else anywhere in italy for sure um sounds good yeah so yeah, far yeah, we've only had tamales yeah we need to break out of this marina and try some real <laughs> food <laughs> the tamales were good though they're like wrapped in banana leaves and and cooked oh, nice. fire and oh so good oh yeah the street food is amazing there it's so cool i like i remember the first time we went there it was it was like the most it was the happiest welcome i've ever received in a country uh it was by plane and i think we flew into cancun but we were staying in playa del carmen if that makes sense it's like okay, a, yeah. it's less touristy than cancun but still mm-hmm. not really mexican uh, it was Mexican enough, though. Like, it was a vacation. You know, we were there to get drunk. We weren't really there to experience yeah. much. Um, but, yeah, like, we turned up, and literally as soon as we got off the plane, they were just handing out bottles of Corona, and, like, they were just selling packs of cigarettes. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be drunk before I get to the hotel. That's great, you know? <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. It was cool, yeah. First question, or opener. Um what made you want to do this? Because you had a pretty decent life set up. You had a nice little house on the water there and you had a little motorboat and it was going sweet. Yeah, so I think that we... Just say, Gary, like... I, I think we were just working in our office jobs and just like so caught up for so long in this like cycle of work for the promotion and buy the next new car. And it was great. And we, you know, we had the things. We had the house. We were getting promoted at our careers. We were doing well. We had a powerboat. We could go fishing on weekends. And all of those things were great. But we only had like a week or two a year to actually enjoy life and like go on yeah. vacations and do those types of things. We, we started to feel like we were just owned by all of the things to the point where even our weekends were spent just dealing with all of the things that we owned instead of really enjoying time with <laughs> our friends and like the people That's around us. Right. It. Like you're it, dealing it with the problems like, of all the stuff you have. <laughs> right. It's like, well, what do we need to fix today? Okay. Let's fix like, you know, and of course we're still fixing stuff now, but we just have, we have one thing to fix, right. It's, it's everything. It's just one thing, but yeah, so we, we did a little bit of traveling, you know, and took some vacations. We took our powerboat over to the Bahamas for a week. And when we were there, we were like, okay, how do we stay here at this beach for more than a, a few week. days? Yeah. Right. Like we, we don't want to just like rush in and rush out. And then we took a backpacking trip to Costa Rica actually. And we started meeting people in the hostels we were staying at and they were digital nomads basically. And we started asking them like, like, how do you, how did you quit your job, your, your office job? And they're like, well, you just quit. And we're like, well, what do you mean? You just quit. Like, how can you just quit and walk away from it all? They made it sound so simple. Right. And, and, and at the time it just, it blew our minds. We couldn't, we couldn't wrap our head around how we could possibly get out of the house and the jobs and everything else and, and go travel. Yeah. So then we just like put our heads together and we're like, well, we really just want to travel. Like life's too short. We want to travel. So we get back and we put together like a budget on, you know, how much we can afford, what we can sell and like get rid of to like start thinking about buying a boat. And that process probably took us a couple of years. Couple I think years. like, I think yeah. the dream of traveling for us was there for maybe five, six, seven years, kind of in the background where we'd talk about it and we'd, we'd watch other travel vlogs and other sailing channels. And like, you know, the, the idea was always fostering there, festering there. And eventually though, we just got to the point where we're like, okay, we're doing this. Let's make the plan. So, for- so we basically gave ourselves a deadline that was like six months out. And we we're like, we need to find a boat, buy a boat. And then we need to leave. Like yeah. we need to just 
Need to quit. get out of here like, because we kept thinking of excuses of why not to do it and why we should put it off oh if we work another year then we can save x amount and then that yeah. will give us you know more time for cruising but then we're like but what if something happens and we don't you know yeah. next year doesn't come or whatever so we just we decided to do it yeah yeah so we we bought the boat and moved on to it right away um put it at a marina maybe just a few minutes down the road from our house and we put the house on Airbnb right away. So that way we were only paying the slip fee and nice. making money on Airbnb, working our full-time jobs, cleaning the house between guests on our lunch breaks and on weekends. And, you know, just pretty much went full dedication to the goal of leaving the dock and going sailing. Nice. Yeah. So we didn't, you know, we stopped going out to eat and going out with our friends and we stopped traveling. And for six months, we just worked our butts off and saved as much as we could. And then yeah, got the boat ready to sail too. I mean, it was pretty much ready to go, but of course, like, you know, there's going from a house to a boat, there's a lot of stuff you need to get rid of and oh, yeah. downsize and a lot of gear you need to get specific to sailing, you know, and yeah, I'm I'm sat in a corner of a room right now. That's the only corner that does not have my wife's clothes or my wife's shoes just sprawled <laughs> everywhere. That um, doesn't change when you get on a boat. Oh, it will. <laughs> and, yeah, I am telling you, it will. Well, I've already <laughs> set the KPIs. Like she has to get rid of a number of these things probably within the next few weeks because they're starting to mount up. It's like I think she threw like a bin liner out of her stuff, and then you start going through cupboards, and there's just things everywhere. There's stuff yeah. everywhere. So yeah. yeah, we find the same stuff even being on the boat. Like we still accumulate stuff, right? Like yeah. we're not yeah. we're not out buying stuff all the time, but just somehow like you still end up accumulating things. So every now and then we still need to go through and just like take a whole bag of clothes and go donate it somewhere and just like move stuff off the boat because well, I feel like we finally have realized how little we actually need out here. So like when we started, we had the boat packed full and we had, you know, closets full of clothes still. Cause it's like, oh, we, we downgraded, but you know, you think you still need all of this stuff. And the reality of it is you really don't need much out here. Yeah. So now we're finally like going through stuff that we left with, but we're like, why did we bring like this tray, like this tray for appetizers? Like we never use this. Mm. <laughs> For sundowners, we just, you know, we don't need you that. You need so. one cup each. You yeah. need one fork each. You know, it's it's not like you need. <laughs> you don't need much. You don't need a china cabinet full of stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's pretty normal. Like in the UK, a lot of the students take like a gap year and go to like Thailand or Cambodia or something like that. I did it shortly afterwards. So I did a few places in Asia. But you can pack a rucksack or a backpack, like whatever you call it, wherever you're from. And that's good for months. So like by the time you get to your thirties and you just bought all this crap that's been told you've been told to buy on television, like you just don't need it. It's you just do not need it whatsoever. What was the what was the most like challenging thing to overcome um, when it came to making those big decisions to leave? Was it like figuring out how you're going to sustain your finances, or do you think it was like quitting the actual job and figuring out how to make new money? Like what was the most daunting part of it? I don't know. I think for me, it was just like the overwhelming amount of things that needed to be put in order, right? Because you, you get so in a routine with your life where you go to work, you have your house, you have your cars, you have all of these things that kind of just take care of themselves, you know, like you, you have the time to take care of it all, but now all of a sudden you're leaving all of that. So it's just, mm. it's such a massive amount of things that need to be done to actually cut the ties and, and go sailing. So we, we had a spread list, a spreadsheet. Yeah, I think for me, I was more concerned about money than Gary was. Mm -hmm. So I was a little bit, you know, we had an idea of what we thought we would spend annually out here, but we really had no idea. And so I was worried about finances for a while, just thinking like, well, we're gonna quit our jobs and we're gonna get out here and then what happens in six months if we run out of money or something like we yeah. have you know a pretty healthy savings but still like just not having a job that i was told i needed all of my life right yeah. like all yeah. my life i was working towards this career and then i'm just i quit and then i'm like well how am i gonna make money <laughs> that's a that's a scary thing like just walking away from a career that you've worked for for 
decades, right? Like schooling, you know, college degrees, everything mm -hmm. else that you've done for, for your, you just get, you get so entangled into that career that to do anything different just seems absurd. Yeah. I, I quit about four years ago um, and just went self-employed and it's like, it's crazy how you get so consumed and you're so involved in that lifestyle of like needing to get the promotion, needing to get a pay rise because you want to buy this and you want to buy that and you want to upgrade and you want to upgrade. And um, the feeling when you just sack it all off, it's like so liberating, but it makes you realize, I think it puts a lot of things into perspective as well. Um, how you actually don't need that much to be really, really happy. Um, you just need like a few basic things kind of. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I think it takes a while to get into that mindset that for yeah. me, that didn't happen overnight sure. for sure. The the happiest sailors we find out here are usually on the smallest boats. Yeah. Yeah. You know? We always say yeah. like <laughs> the ones having the most fun are the ones with the smallest, most basic boats because they're not spending all of their time in port fixing stuff or yeah, worrying about sure, how yeah, to, sure. how to pay to replace something. You know, they're, they pull in somewhere, they drop the anchor and they go party and yeah. you know, it's just, it's simple. It's easy. Yeah. When we see somebody that's like miserable, we always say, oh, they must have a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, though. Like I, I was talking to um, I can't remember. Now. I was I was talking to a girl a few days ago and they're, they're just in a position now where they're leaving. And um, I was saying, like, you, you might a lot of people like I'm not rich by any standards. Um, and a lot of people who are you know normal like us, you would presume oh if you have loads of money it'll be easy just get a massive boat pay people to do all the work and it's like them generally the more wealth you accumulate the more responsibility the more assets the more maintenance is required the more people you need and like it burdens you down like yes and even as a property owner you'll know that if you own your own property like we do airbnb as well that is a lot of work it was it is a lot it of was work. a very big headache really i mean it so we went back Ooh, a year ago now, I think it's been, we went back to the States and we sold our house yep. because the Airbnb just got, it got to be too much to manage and too much stress. And, and every time there's a, you know, we're off on anchor at some remote, beautiful Island. And the last thing we want to do is answer a phone call because there's a, a mouse running around in the house or whatever, or the dishwasher <laughs> broke or whatever it is. Right. Like, it's just like, it's yeah. the last thing we want to deal with. That's not why we why we wanted to go out and go sailing we wanted to be free of those kinds of concerns so while the while the income from it is nice and and having that asset is nice we just didn't want the stress of it yeah it also yeah. cuts in it cuts into your experience a little bit so you know there, that's not to say all rentals are are necessarily bad our house was probably not ideal for a rental property because it just it was a great house to live in but it was too complicated and too much to deal with as a rental right yeah I think if you're going to do Airbnbs, like even short-term, medium, long-term rent or whatever, you're better off just with like a new build apartment that's probably yeah. got all of the white goods um, utilities, I think you guys say. We say white goods. I don't know. Maybe you say white goods. Um, you know, still under warranty. Um, it, it's easy to figure out where the plumbing is and stuff. Like when you have old houses or houses from like, you know, a few decades ago and stuff starting to break and then plumbers and electricians and like, that's when it's a headache. I think if you've just got like a condo that's basic, that would be nice. Yeah, that that's perfect. Yep. We actually still have a condo in Florida um, and it's rented long-term and it's easy. We it's don't even think about it. It's a headache for me, right? Like maybe once in a while, we've got to call someone to go service something there, but it's yeah. just, it's simple, right? And the HOA takes care of most of the maintenance, so. Oh, nice. Yeah. Whereabouts in Florida are you guys from? So we left from Merritt Island. We've okay. lived in Merritt Island the past 10 years. So New York, Cape Canaveral. Oh, nice. Was the center. And are you, have you all, have you, are you both from Florida? No, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, and I grew up in upstate New York and then moved to Florida after college for a job and actually met Brooke at that job. She moved down to Florida a couple of years after. And we met there and then we worked nice. a few different jobs and lived in Florida for what, nine or 10 years total, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a really good place to like start off sailing because you can literally just skip over to the Bahamas if you know a bit about what you're doing. Um, the Bahamas is like, 
perfect training grounds for cruising yeah. right it's it's fairly easy you can see through the water everywhere so like you know you'll see something before you hit it <laughs> and there's wind it's not crazy wind you know the anchorages are beautiful it was it was perfect for us because we basically left with zero sailing experience yeah it's definitely mm. a good place to get your training wheels off and get going for sure and there's just so many anchorages so you, you can sail every day you can you know you can hoist the anchor in the morning sail for a few hours drop the hook in a new anchorage and spend a day or two there and then move again the next day. And you can do that hundreds of times without yeah. going back to the yeah. same place. Mm -hmm. So it just, it gives you a ton of experience with, with what you need to know. Yeah. To like handling and stuff like that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. We had a good bit of powerboat experience in Florida. Uh, we owned a few, we went fishing offshore on weekends. So like we, we had a pretty good grasp of, navigation and weather and anchoring and those kinds of things for us we just really had to learn sailing which mm. is you know it changes a lot and we're still learning sailing um every time we sail we learn something new for sure how did that factor into like buying a sailboat because you guys got the boat before you knew how to really operate it yeah i, I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> A lot of people do it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, it seems like it's a pretty popular thing to do, really. Yeah. But... I mean, we were confident enough that we could motor the boat. Yeah, you can motor it somewhere. Home yeah. and and yeah. get it into a slip. And we had friends um, in the area that sailed and were cruisers, part time cruisers, and you know we knew they would go out with us. So we basically just we went out like twice. We went them. out two or three <laughs> times with them. They showed us, you know, pull this line to do this, pull this to do this don't do this, you know, yeah. and uh, got a little bit of, you know, a couple of trips out of it, I guess, maybe mm -hmm. 10 hours of sailing total. And Yeah, I mean, we've definitely just been learning by doing. Um, everyone asks, like, would we recommend taking like sailing courses before, before leaving? And my answer is always no, because they don't really teach you the things that the real life situations that you get into out here. Yeah everyone's different right like for me i like to learn things by just jumping into it and doing it i you know i'll read enough and ask enough questions ahead of time to make sure i'm not going to kill myself yeah but then you got to just do it to learn it right like no one's going to learn how to sail offshore unless they go sail offshore yeah it's just yeah it's a i think like we've in the uk we've got a um school sailing school well no just water yeah they just do everything on the water it's called the RYA. And they do like really good courses. They do like the yacht master and stuff like that, where you do actually go offshore. And a lot of it's a lot of it is probably more so about safety and how to handle a boat rather than actually sail. Um, but yeah, when it comes to just like handling a boat, learning how to trim the sails and stuff like that, um, I think just getting on the water with somebody who generally has a good enough idea and just watching them and see what see what they do. That's the best way to learn. Yeah, definitely. And it was actually pretty nice for us because we had a buddy boat in the Bahamas that we sailed with a lot. So they would actually like watch us sailing and be like, oh, you should do this with your, you know, head sail or trim it this way. And we yeah. learned a lot just by like sailing side by side with another boat. And yeah, they'd call over on the radio and be like, hey, move your, you know, your jib lead block back a couple feet and see how that does. And we do and we'd be like, oh, look at that. <laughs> now, now we're going faster. Well, what do yeah, you know? yeah. No flapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for us, it, it probably would have been really helpful if we had sailed some on a smaller boat back in Florida before we left, right? Because we would have learned things a lot quicker with mm. a lot less trouble and probably been in a better spot on our boat now to, you know, get out and sail and learn quicker. Like, I think we're just figuring out how to use our mainsail after <laughs> two years it's you've it's, done very uh, well if you don't know to use your main it's a boom furler system which is really finicky for getting it up and down making sure the boom angle's right and mm. reefing it and like we're really just starting to dial it in now i think but yeah i mean for the longest time we you know we knew how to raise the sails and trim them but that's pretty much where it stopped i mean we were pretty much just surviving for a while out here you know <laughs> but, but yeah i mean you can learn a lot as you go that's really the only way to learn if it's nice conditions as well like just pick the days where you move and pick the days where you stay you really 
don't need that many skills <laughs> to, actually, to actually get around. You know, if you, know, you just wait for those flat 10 knot days, you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which you had a lot of that in the Bahamas. Yeah, really. we, we had a good three months of that in the Bahamas before we, before COVID happened and we decided that our only option was sail back to Florida or beat East for 10 days to get to USVI. So that was a trial by fire for us for sure, because beating into the trade winds is not a good way to learn how to sell. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. Good way to break your boat. <laughs> it's a good, <laughs> yeah, it's a good, good way to break your boat and break break your break your break yourself mentally too, I guess. You yeah. know, it's, I had but, some friends who did it for I think it was like a seven day passage at winds. I can't remember which I, I can't remember it's South Caribbean. I can't remember which exact islands, but they like autopilot broke uh, on the first day and they thought, oh, sod it, we'll just carry on. There was like two of them. So they were doing like three hour shifts for seven days, upwind sailing, like with pretty heavy seas. And I remember that watching the, uh, it's, they're called bums on a boat. They're our friends. Yeah, yeah. And I remember watching the videos. I was just like, Jesus, no, I would have so turned around. There's no way I would have done that at all. You, you, you know, that sounds extremely <laughs> familiar because on that sail from the Bahamas to USVI, our autopilot broke on morning of morning day two. Of day I think. two. Mm. So, so we, we, we knew we had like seven more days in front of us, but there was nowhere we could pull off to because of COVID. There was no, yeah. everyone was closed. Like even Puerto Rico wouldn't let in US flag boats to that point. So we our, had no our, choice, we had no choice really at that point. We we had to keep going. So we did we did four hour we shifts. We did four hour shifts of hand steering and mm. what that was a blessing, really. Yeah, it was a blessing because for me, for sure, because I really learned to feel the boat. And with the autopilot, you just kick it on and it does its thing. But when I'm actually like feeling the helm, it was really good for me to learn how to adjust the sails and yeah, yeah. feel the power of the boat and know when she's balanced or not. So as much as it sucked to hand steer for eight more days, it really taught us a lot about our boat. And you've got so much time to hand steer that like, you know, you might play with the sails to trim them out for like an hour or two. And if that balances the boat for 30 minutes so you can take your hands off the helm for 30 minutes, well, that time was well spent. So it really, you know, it, it really incentivizes you to really dial in the trimming of the sails and balancing the boat. Yeah, I think that's definitely the downside of like using an autopilot on like medium or long passages is you're definitely neglecting the sails. Um, I mean, unless you're turning it off and just seeing how the wheel feels every so often. Um, but you need to feel how much pressure is on the wheel. Do you know, you know what I mean? Like, and oh, you know, just how much pressure is being put on like the RAM or the uh, pulley system that is on your autopilot. You don't know. They should come out with a feature for that. Like they, it should they be should. like a like a like a level of effort, right? Like how hard yeah. is the autopilot working to to tell you that? Yeah. Yeah, there should just be a light. Like I'm pushing too hard. Fix me. Um, yeah. <laughs> For us, ours just breaks when we push too hard. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Stop Yeah>. like... <laughs> just stops the wheel moving. Um, uh... Right back onto the the finances that stuff. So you guys were like renting out your place on Airbnb, then you sold it. Did you like change your budgeting plan to go with that or was that like part of the plan from the beginning how did that all work we so our plan from the beginning was to keep the house and rent it and use that income for our cruising kitty um but i guess after a year and a half of doing that we just decided it really wasn't the way we wanted to go and we wanted to start sailing further away and, you know, managing the, the house from the Bahamas or from, you know, the USVI was one thing, but managing it from halfway around the world would be a totally different thing to try to take on, right? So, so we, you know, decided we'd go back. The market was good in Florida. It's still crazy, right? The market everywhere for real estate's crazy. So everywhere. it seemed like good timing to just get out of it. And, you know, before something like a new roof was needed or a seawall repair or, before something major, we figured let's just play it safe, get out of this, take that money and invest it some other way mm. and, and keep selling. Yeah. You know, like, I just don't think there's ever been a better time to sell all your assets and buy a boat because like, 
Well, you know, like the property prices have gone crazy. Like in Spain, they've probably gone up about 40% in the past year. No, I'm exaggerating. Probably about 20, 20%, 25% in the past year, which sounds great. You're like, whoa, my house is worth my money. But the next house has also gone up 30%. So it's irrelevant. Um, right. But if it you only does any good that, if you don't buy a new house. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're selling a house that you just gained 25% on and you're just going to buy like a cruising boat, that uplift that you just got on your property might actually pay for your boat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We get asked a lot, you know, like, well, what do you do when you want to go back to land? Like, where are you going to live now? You don't have a house. And our, our answer has kind of been, well, we're not really sure we'd want to live in that kind of house again anyway. You know, our, our outlook on life and what we need and what we want has definitely changed from this experience. So, you know, we'd, we'd probably find some smaller, maybe we'd live on a boat, but be, you know, semi-permanent, just, you know, not be sailing around. I don't know. We don't know what the future looks like and we're kind of okay with that. That's yeah. kind of the point. Yeah. Cause you, you guys have uh, like a little place of a pool and then like a, did you have like a jetty? out there or something i remember you yeah we had a dock with a little boat lift and yeah it was yeah it was on a canal we could get out to the ocean in about an hour from where we were Mm. so nice but a lot of maintenance a ton of maintenance a ton of maintenance which when we lived there was okay right because i could do everything and once we weren't there though if you have to call you know call an electrician to come change the light bulb it gets expensive pretty fast right yeah yeah true yeah we've we've had a, a few people who uh yeah you need to call out a professional to change uh to change a light bulb i've had that a few times right we've uh we've realized after this place we're in now like when we well we basically want to circumnavigate then probably do like half on a boat half just on land and we're never ever getting a house again um <laughs> we're just gonna go apartment or condo and that's it because it's like, you don't need the space. Absolutely don't need the space. Um, you don't need the facilities because when they break, they cost a fortune. You have to maintain, like a pool is a nightmare. I mean, you guys get oh, like yeah. alligators in your pools. Like I've seen some of these videos, <laughs> like Florida is a dangerous place. Like you have Disneyland <laughs> and it's very pretty, but if I woke up, there was an alligator in my swimming pool. <laughs> my life would just yeah. We yeah. like to joke that anytime there's like a wild story in the United States in the news, you, in you can Florida. pretty much count on it being in Florida. Oh, yeah. You know, there was one that I saw. Um, I mean, they, these things are dinosaurs. Like, they're not reptiles. Like, it was like 20 feet. It was. It looked like a ginormous dinosaur. And it's like there was just a family going for a walk in a park. <laughs> and this, this huge 20-foot alligator just like starts plodding a lot. I mean, that could eat all of you easily that shouldn't be allowed in the street that's crazy yeah you know we we got very used to like alligators right we'd swim in the rivers there and you know there's alligators around but you just get so used to it but like now we're in places where there's crocodiles and like i won't i won't step foot in that little river there if it looks murky because oh yeah you know you just you just get used to what's around you right like people aren't scared of the things that they're used to fear comes from not knowing right would a crocodile behave differently to an alligator in front of a person? I think it's the same. I would think it would be the same, yeah. The no dif- idea. Like the difference is one of them just majority of the time is in the water. The other one majority of the time is outside the water. I don't know. We'll have to Google that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All of the crocodiles we've seen here have been pretty much in the water or right on the, on the bank. What's the difference? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> Well, like, we don't have them. If I lived in Florida, I'm sure I'd know. But yeah, yeah. Like we, yeah I don't know. I, I treat them the same. I, I stay away from yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, it's big and it can eat you. Um, so it doesn't matter about the details. <laughs> yeah, just stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't really like animals that are bigger than me in general. Uh, I like horses because you can stroke them and they kind of like being stroked. But even still, it's, it's way too big to be a pet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for me anyway um so like your plans like when you when you left florida um what did that like initial plan look like were you thinking of a year or did you like want to sail around the world i guess our initial plan just looked like we needed to co- cross the gulf stream to get to the bahamas and that was pretty much <laughs> our only goal at the time was to get to the bahamas right 
and then it just kind of evolved from there. Like we have always said that we'll keep doing it until it's no longer fun or until we run out of money. And yeah, we just kind of been planning one step at a time and we keep getting further away from home. Yeah, so when like, we left, it wasn't like we wanted to do a circumnavigation, but we just keep keep going. going, right? Once we were in the Bahamas, then it was, oh, let's make it to the Caribbean. And then once we were in the Caribbean, it was, well, let's go through the Panama Canal. And you know, now the dream is to get to the South Pacific. So we're <laughs> we're we're you know, just doing it one step at a time. It does does it eventually yeah. turn into a circumnavigation? Who knows? Maybe, I don't yeah, know. It's, it, it's yeah. not a dream of ours to do a circumnavigation, but if it happens, obviously that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but we really don't know. We just sailed well, to like where you, you the did next fun this places. whole thing because you wanted to travel. So that's like traveling and seeing new things, new cultures and stuff is obviously a passion. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much like I always tell Gary, I'm a traveler who sails. I'm not really a sailor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting better at it. I would say like, you know, over the past two years, I've definitely come a long way, but I, I'm still just a traveler at heart. So sailing is just a means to get me from place to place. But you were saying yesterday that you're actually looking forward to the next long offshore passage. And like, yeah, yeah, no, I am. Or I think no. you kind of dreaded them to start, but now yeah. you're enjoying them. At first it was like a big adjustment for me and not knowing how to sail. And I depended on Gary for everything, right? Like with the sails and, you know, and, something And I happened. was just pretending like I knew what I was doing, right? <laughs> you were just there with fake confidence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I would say like the first three months of our trip, if something happened to Gary, I, I think I would just like crawl up in the cockpit and cry for a while and hope somebody would come by and rescue me. But now, now I'm like confident that I can sell the boat on my own if I had to, which I think has made, has turned me into a sailor, mm. right? It, it was like definitely a confidence thing for me. Where, when yeah. did you start learning how to like sail the boat? I will say without Gary, but you know, like confidently on your own, like what, when was the point where you started getting behind the helm thinking like, I've got this, I can, I can deal with whatever's coming? That's a good question. Probably been, hmm. Do you know what I, was like? I don't remember like the exact moment, but I'm pretty good at sleeping through squalls. So, you know, there's been a few times now where I'll wake up and I'll, I'll go up in the cockpit and it'll be like 30 knots away and Brooke's just at the helm. She's already adjusted the sails and she's just zipping along. And I'm like, what happened here? You know, like, it's just, and then you like, yeah. So over time I've just evolved and I've really learned to trust our boat, which I think is huge. Like knowing that the boat is just not going to fall to pieces underneath me has been a huge, huge thing. Um, but yeah, just over time I've learned a lot. I've learned to trust myself, honestly. And like, think oh i can i can sail the boat <laughs> yeah. it makes for a much happier and more comfortable relationship on board too yeah now that now, now that she you know feels confident with the boat because i can go down when i'm not on watch and i can sleep for four hours and not have to stress about it um yeah but i feel like that probably has taken i mean we've been out here for two years now and it's probably taken what a year and a half mm -hmm. And before I was pretty confident that I could get the boat to the next port by myself sure. if I had to. And it's all about finding ways to do mm -hmm. things, right? There's, there's things that I can do with the sails or at winches or whatever that Brooke just doesn't have the size or the strength or the reach to do. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means you have to find a different way to do it, whether it's routing, routing it around one winch to another winch or using something differently. You know, there's, there's a way to do it. And I think it's just, you know, we've, we've figured those things out so that Brooke can single hand the boat now. Mm. I think time as well, you know, like you have to be on the boat and see like 40 knots a few times before you get comfortable and you rely, Oh wow. The boat just doesn't blow over. Do you know what I mean? And exactly you know, bring a little bit of sail in and then you're not healed over as much. And I think once you start that, like, this is the way it was with my wife. Like when we first healed over, when we first got this cruise and took it out, she, I mean, I don't know if she did shit herself. I imagine she did. I'd look on her face, I would have thought she did. Because, you know, being in a boat and bending over sideways on it is, like, quite a strange thing to do. And you just have to get used to it. And, um, yeah, just get used to the wind conditions. And I think once that's done, um, you are probably a lot more comfortable in the environment of being offshore. And then it's just about learning the boat. 
Yeah, definitely. I remember the first time we dipped the rail in the water and I was absolutely terrified. I was shaking and I was yelling at Gary. I'm like, we're overpowered. We're overpowered. And like, and now we dip the rail in the water and it's like no big deal, but it, it took, you know, that to happen a few times, like you said, and for the wind to kick up and for me to trust the boat before I realized yeah. that that was okay. And it, it is kind of crazy how it's like, you know, well, it's not the worst we've ever seen. So it must be okay. Right. Like, which is probably a, a faulty way of thinking too. Right. You, you definitely, you definitely need to, you know, just because you've been through 40 knots before, it doesn't mean that this one's not going to be different. So, yeah. But yeah, definitely, you know, with experience comes comfort. Yeah, definitely. So with regards to like the trip you've made so far, I think you've done well about 5,000 miles, something like that, like going down and through and up a little bit. Yeah, probably 5,000 miles. Seven maybe now. Yeah. So we, because of COVID, we went all the way down to Grenada Hmm. and then as things started opening, we sailed back up the Caribbean chain. Yeah. Um, Which was great. We were able to stop pretty much everywhere, but the French islands, um, and then down to Curacao, over to Colombia, which was an awesome stop through the canal. And then we didn't realize it, I think, until we got through the canal, just how far it is from the Pan- Panama Canal up to the Sea of Cortez, because it's yeah, it's, it's about it's about three thousand miles. Yeah. It's like it's like crossing the Pacific, right? Like, and and the worst part is there's there's not consistent trade winds, mm. so it's it's slow. It's not hundred mile days anymore, right? It's it's slow moving but uh yeah yeah so we've got another 1500 miles i think to go up to the sea of cortez so what are you thinking from there on because like i mean once you go up there you're either going all the way up you know the coast the uh the west coast or you're turning around and going across the pacific really what are you yeah, tempted to do yeah so our plan is to go across the pacific next season so we'll nice. stay in Sea of Cortez and then hopefully make the jump across the Pacific to French Polynesia in March next year. Yeah, a couple of years of sailing has really taught us like what we need on the boat for long distance yep. sailing. Yep. So we plan to haul out up in Mexico and Sea of Cortez somewhere and do a bit and, of a refit and, and do what we know we'll need for the next couple of years of cruising the South Pacific. Um, yeah. It's not that we couldn't go. Now it's, you know, the boats, other than the few little fixes that we have to deal with from our last passage, you know, the boat's okay. So, but it's always good when you can make everything right and feel confident about the boat, right? It's yeah. after a yeah. month in a boatyard or a few weeks in a boatyard, it's just a, it's a good feeling to know that everything's how it should be and you're ready to go yeah. off and sail again. I think like cruising between anchorages is like, you are quite comfortable with a few pieces of equipment on your boat being inoperable like if there's a bit of water coming in if there's something leaking whatever it's not that big of a deal because uh, you know that okay worst case scenario i can beach it and, and deal with it like for example right. yeah like on a 20-day passage it'd be the same as if you were stuck in a house if you were stuck in your house for 20 days and your fridge wasn't working properly you'd get annoyed real quick if you were picking uh-huh. out like warm colas you would get really annoyed um same thing if you're doing like a 20-day passage offshore like you just want that thing perfect because you know you, you so cramped into such a small space (laughs) you don't need frustrations yeah i mean that's kind of how cruising is right you basically just ignore things and you know (laughs) cobble things together as best you can just to keep going because if you stopped every time something broke you would never move like you know you you just kind of have to have the attitude of what do we really need to keep moving you know we need the engine working and we need sails and everything else is kind of a luxury item. Yeah, pretty much. I think when it comes uh, to things breaking as well, like my take is, okay, it's broke. It's not working. If I leave it, is it going to get worse or break something else? And if the answer is no, then I'm like, yeah, I'll just leave that and deal with it another day. Exactly. Whatever. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, you've got to be willing to willing to just sail on regardless, right? Like an autopilot breaks. Do you need it? No. Is it really nice to have? And does it make your life a lot better? Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, do you want to just stop and wait for everything to be fixed and spend all your time waiting on parts to get shipped into far off places and deal with customs and all of that? Or do you want to just keep sailing and make do? Yeah. 
True. What well, what was the um, boat buying experience like for you guys? Because you were pretty set on getting this type of boats. I know you. I watched. I've watched your videos since you first started um, putting them out. I really like them, and I remember like you looked at a similar one. Was was it was that right? You looked at a similar one, and then that fell through, and then you looked what you wanted yeah. the same one. Yeah, so we there's about 14 of this model boat made, and we found one in South Carolina that we went to see, and I just love the layout. It was unlike any boat that we had looked at. So then Gary did some research on the hull and how it checked it all built. our boxes, right? Because it's not a cord hull, it's you know encapsulated keel, it's you know a keel stepped rig, and you know it it checked all of my boxes for being a strong, well built boat. And we love the layout. So that one, that first one that we saw in Charleston just didn't work out. Yeah. So then we were just like researching, you know, there's 14. Where are, where are the other 13 of these boats? <laughs> we have to find them. There has to be something for sale out there. And then we found a boat that was um, on the hard in North Carolina. And that's the one that shows up in our video, I think. Yeah. And that was like a total total project gut job the boat had been sitting for like four or five years on the hard and sails were torn and like dangling from it It just but but at that point we were like that's the layout that's the boat that we want maybe yeah. we're willing to put the work in but then we really started like dissecting it and looking at how much money it would cost to refit the boat and we're like it just doesn't make sense so then we go back and we're still looking there's got to be more of these boats out there <laughs> it was like it was kind of just meant to be because another one popped up for sale and we were like, oh, well, you know, there's only 14 of these and how have four of them popped up now? So yeah. And, we, and then we went to see it and I mean, there really wasn't much negotiating at that point because I was like, I want that boat. Like it is perfect <laughs> for us and there's not many of them out here. So your enthusiasm probably cost you about 10 grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. I think we made out okay though, because yeah. she's, you know, yeah. she's had her issues like any 40 year old boat, but for the most part, it's been pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we weren't, we weren't like dead set on an older boat or anything real specific. We weren't dead set on center cockpit or aft cockpit or, or whatever. Right. We, we probably looked at, I don't know, hundreds of boats online and maybe a couple dozen boats in person. And, you know, this one kind of just felt like the right, the right fit for us. Yeah. People say like, when when you find the boat you know it's the boat and i really think that's true like mm. we of, knew this was yeah the boat and of course nothing it. knowing nothing yeah. about sailing yeah. makes it real easy to ignore all of that stuff right <laughs> it was, oh, okay it has, yeah. has sales <laughs> like it's it's a difficult process to go through though because it's like you know yeah, definitely more in depth than getting an RV because in an RV you can just drive and like the conditions are put in place by the government, the roads. So, you know, you know, everything's there. Whereas uh, getting a boat is completely different anyway, but trying to um, match like your house and your living accommodation and what you want out of a kitchen and a storage. And then also marrying that up with like, okay, it is a vehicle that relies on fabric to move. I, it's just hard it's it's so hard to go through that process and, and just to decide what you want as well yeah it's probably easy to get like paralyzed by the the fear of not getting the perfect boat right mm. and at some point you just got to accept you're not going to get the perfect boat there is no perfect boat so just go get one and make it work right it'll be fine yeah, kind of. I don't know. There's there's certainly <laughs> things we would there's some things we would change or some things we would want different about this boat, right? Like getting in and out of the water on this boat or with dive gear and dive tanks is is a challenge. Um, we'd love to have a you know a swim platform on the back or a, a walk through transom, but it's all a trade off. Yeah, it's all a compromise. Although if you've got loads of money. It, it starts to get quite a bit easier. <laughs> yeah, so you have to compromise on less yeah. things when you have more money. And I think like yeah, that's one of the sure. things. Yeah, one of the things that people have asked us a lot is, well, since you've sold the house, are you going to buy a new boat? Because we have this, you know, extra money now, and we're like, no, like this is our boat. She's everything that we think we need right now, and we don't 
I've got we everything I want on board. Like, to upgrade. It's like, well, we can upgrade our boat and then cruise for five less years or something, right? Yeah. So why not keep our boat and be able to be out here longer is the kind of way, way that we've looked at it. Mm. How's the YouTube thing going for you guys? Is that like turned into a job now where you're like earning money from it or is it a hobby? Um, like how's that side of uh, living on the water going? Yeah, so uh, we started it just for fun, um, for something to do to kind of memorialize our journey, share with our family and friends, like what we're actually doing out here. And it was really great during COVID. And it's kind of just grown into... A, a little bit of a job, I'd say. We are making money on it now or monetized, we've monetized our channel and it's been really fun. Um, I would say the most important thing for us though is the people that we've met through YouTube. Yeah. And, and the, the opportunities the opportunities that, that, it's, that opened it's opened has been the most valuable thing, right? Whether it's meeting people in the places that we sail to that have seen our videos and want to show us around and give us a tour or, you know, meeting some sponsors and getting connected to that, doing podcasts, you know, it's, it's definitely yeah. the connections that's been the most valuable thing to us, I think. Yeah. For now, we would still say like, we're doing our channel for fun. And if we happen to make a little bit of money and that's great. And yeah, we're in a fortunate position to where we, we have savings. So we, we don't have to rely on income from the videos, which allows us to, you know, if we're not in the mood to edit, or, you know, we, we don't think a video is very good. Well, we don't feel obligated to publish it. We can, we can wait and we can make it the way we want it because the yeah, videos are, they're for us as much as they're for anyone else, right? They're, they're for our friends and family and for us. And we want them to be the way we want them to be. So, yeah. So if we don't put out a video one week, then who cares, right? We all, and for us, like, we're not going to, um go out diving for a day or go hiking so we can stay on the boat on edit like that's just not why we're out here yeah so yeah. it's <laughs> editing is time consuming and like props to all of the really big channels who are i mean they spend so much time on it um maybe... it's a lot of work to spit out a, a 20 to 30 minute video every week you know it's yeah. it oh, can yeah. easily it can easily become a full-time job hmm. or more um, you know, we, we meet a lot of other YouTubers that say they work more now than they did when they had office jobs. And, you know, the work's a lot more enjoyable, I guess, because, you yeah, know, I was going to say you're, you're, you're filming sailing. yourself. Yeah, you're filming yourself sailing or diving or hiking yeah. or whatever it is. Right. It's, it's not it doesn't feel like work to us yet. Yeah, it doesn't. We've, we um, have a lot of fun with it. And I mean, editing is not our either of our backgrounds, but we've taught ourselves a lot about it. And it's just been really fun, fun thing for us to do out here. I would say it's more of a hobby for us. More of a hobby. Yeah, yeah. I think our, our goal and our plan is with the income that we've started to make from it, to roll that into better camera equipment and, you know, maybe an underwater rig so we can get really good underwater footage and Nice. Yeah, replace replace the drones that we inevitably crash <laughs> into the ocean. And um, you know, if we can if we can take that income and and turn it into making better videos, making better videos, that's awesome, right? Because yeah. then we get to document things better for ourselves and our friends and our family, and everyone else gets to see better videos too. Yeah, yeah, fair. yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely. Um, I don't know if it's a harder job. It's probably a nicer job if it's harder. Maybe it's harder work, but it's a lot nicer to uh, do it. It's definitely nicer than like going to an office every day. What did you two <laughs> work before you like quit and started sailing around? Go ahead. So um, my background is in finance and okay. I actually worked um, for a surf company in Florida for a few years. Um, and then I'm a yeah, I'm a mechanical engineer, and um, that's actually where we met, was at the engineering firm that I was working at, where Brooke was working as an accountant and in finance. Oh. And then after that, I worked for Sea Ray Yachts for a little bit, which really got all of the knowledge about boat building and, and onboard systems that I needed. Um, and I had I one had of those. Last, yeah, oh, really? Yeah, 24 foot one. Um, oh, it's a motorboat. I think we had it for like a couple of years, but um, yeah, it was great. We just used to have barbecues on it and get drunk on this lake. And uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's what they're for. Yeah, that's what the four of us Yeah, yeah it was great for that. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, 
then I had another job as a mechanical engineer doing some stuff at the space center in Florida, some, uh, some like ground support equipment design and another small nice. engineering firm. So we did a few different things and, you know, we always had the, the traditional nine to five office jobs, which were great for, you know, getting where you are now. <laughs> yeah. And getting us where we are now. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, it's good to look back on. <laughs> anyway, hopefully you can just keep on sailing for the rest of your lives or however long you want to do it anyway. Yeah, do you know what's interesting though? Like I was the one that was worried about money and I guess just from my financial background, that was something that was, you know, <laughs> I was concerned about. And it's weird, like you just figure it out. Like, and it seems so odd to say that and you hear people say that all the time, but the opportunities and things that come your way, like, once you get out here, I mean, there's people who clean bottoms of boats and, you know, women who clean boats and I don't know, there's just all sorts of opportunities of things that happen to just like fall in your lap, it seems. So, yeah, yeah. you definitely like, at least in the United States, you, you kind of get it in your head that the only way to live is to have that full-time 40 hour a week job. Yeah. Um, but that's not how most of the world operates, you know? And, and the more we travel, the more we realize that that's just, that's not how the vast majority of people in other countries live their lives. You know, they, they do all sorts of different jobs here and there, and they, they might farm and, you know, also be a electrician on the side and do this on the side. And like, you know, there's just so many different ways to, to make money and, and support yourself. So if you're willing yeah. to, if you're willing to try different things, there's always a way. I think like the vast majority of the world is very different. Like the UK and the US culturally, I kind of see them as the same thing um, because well, I mean, we're the same people for a start, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the, the entertainment um, politics, it's all quite similar. It's like our countries are very much based around consumerism. And I think that's why a lot of people really struggle to see a way out of a nine to five job or any type of hours that you work in. And like, you know, you need to work to buy the car and get a holiday and do all that type of stuff. Um, like, but even if you just go into Europe or, you know, you just go to the Caribbean, you'll see people live very, very differently. And it's not so far away from where you're from, um, but they've just got a different outlook on life. And I think, I think the US and the UK are probably the worst countries in the world when it comes to not promoting a life of like deep value in my opinion it's very much based on superficial stuff um Definitely. which is kind of sad really yeah it's extremely sad and honestly throughout our travels we've sort of found the people who have the least are the most willing to share with us mm. and you know welcome us into their homes and things and I don't know. It's, it's really changed our outlook on life, just seeing how other people live. Yeah. And there's certainly like, you know, a, a minimum amount that, that you need to be happy, right? Like being hungry and having a, not having a roof over your head yeah. are, you know, things that just no one's going to be good with. And, but you also don't need the newest iPhone, right? Like you don't, you don't need, you know, the, new, <laughs> the newest car or truck or, you know, yeah. there's just, there's other ways to, to live. And we find that spending time with, with people in these countries we visit is what really brings us happiness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just about learning the ways, you know, different countries, different nationalities, cultures do things differently as well. Like, you know, get out there and see like the world's a pretty big place and there's a lot more goes on outside, you know, than what you're used to. Yep. Yeah. I think we, we make, make it a goal to kind of push ourselves outside of where we're comfortable because it's it's also very easy as a sailor to you know go port to port and only hang out with other sailors and other cruisers which yeah. they might be from different countries around the world but they more or less have the same outlook the same values the same cultural background that you do but you know go walk over to the little bar where the locals are hanging out and sit down and have a beer and just sit there and chat with them for a while, even if you don't know the language and you'll get a totally different perspective, you know, than you do at the Marina bar. Yeah. And it's, it's surprising, like how much better you are at speaking a language you can't speak when you drink a lot of beer. 
Um, like I'm terrible at Spanish, but I feel when I'm drunk, I'm great at Spanish. Um, so yeah, you don't even need to, you don't need to speak someone else's language to have a great conversation with them. Like smiles, nods, handshakes, like it's good. You can get through a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been amazing to see like how willing people are to accommodate us and attempt to communicate with us, even if we don't speak very good Spanish at all. Right. Mm -hmm. Like everywhere we've been, people have been very supportive. And as long as we're trying and as long as we like are interested in their culture and, you know, seeing how they live, people are so eager to just, you know, welcome us. Yeah. Even though it's most of the time, a lot of pointing and just laughing, smiling, cheersing, but you, yeah, you still have a great time and you figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. No, it's, it's, a, it's a big, beautiful world and it's, it's a good way to see it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, li listen, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for your time. Re I really appreciate it. And I think the listeners will really like your story and your background and what you're doing. And it's very exciting. So uh, good luck to you. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, watching you cross the Pacific. Awesome. Yeah, Thank thanks. you. We hope to see you out yeah. here someday. We hope to cross yeah, the sure out here one day.